0: One of the many benefits of temporary public art is that you have the opportunity to engage with different audiences that you may not be able to engage all of them in the development of a permanent piece. It broadens people's ideas about what artists can do, that it's not just about decorating a place, it's about bringing voices to that place also. It's about helping that place imagine the next thing that it's going to be.
1: Hello, and welcome to A.I. Arts in, the podcast produced by Creative Pinellas. I am Barbara St. Clair, your host. And I am here today with Renee Pichocki, who comes to us from Pittsburgh, where she has directed the public arts program for that very, very forward-leaning city in terms of arts. But I wanna start by uh, looking at a quote that Renee, you have on your website. You say, I am an artist who works in the public realm, Sometimes it's clear that I am an artist, other times it's in the background, on purpose.
0: <laughs> the purpose of being not necessarily upfront with being an artist who also works as an arts administrator is sometimes about the power of being able to be incognito, where I can represent artists' voice and artists' point of view, perspective, and needs at a table where if everyone knew that I was an artist, they may not necessarily be open or welcoming. I think it takes an artist in public art administration to sometimes push the boundaries that have been able to be pushed so for me being an artist has certainly helped me work with allegheny county airport authority who is i think like one of the most forward-thinking public entities in our region into how broadly they could be welcoming artists into their work to make the airport a more compelling engaging and meaningful place to be But it takes an artist to be at the table to have the overall big picture of how that's all working together. Being an artist at the table who's supporting other artists, you can help develop a scenario where they are able to make their best work. You know, the times where I've had to pull a plug on a project and support an artist who's making saying, I know you and i know this isn't working or saying you're creating for a certain set of circumstances that i don't think really exists like let's push this in another direction so i've had to encourage an artist sometimes to to go in a different direction or go further take a bigger risk and i've also had to make a commissioning entity just be like you know what this is not about curing a disease this is about putting an artwork in and we're all going to live if it takes an extra year Right? sometimes you can't do that because you're tied into construction and a project has to happen no matter what but helping to explain the, an artist's point of view to the commissioning agent but then also being able to explain to the artist like maybe what some of the pressure and circumstances are that the commissioning agent is feeling so being a double agent in that way can be very wow. helpful the double agent. yeah right. yeah right i'm i'm really working hard to to help both parties get the best thing they can good public art administrators are 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 always double agents because they're they're w- walking into scenarios with engineers, architects, elected officials who don't work with artists, helping to blaze paths, but then they're also working with artists, helping them feel comfortable on the path that has been made for them, right? And so you do have to be working on on both ends of that.
1: This concept of public art, I would imagine, other than a very small group of people who think about it a lot, or practice it a lot you would find a range of definitions about what public art is from a bronze on a pedestal with a horse and a guy to something very temporary and interactive and anything in between. Patricia Phillips who is a art historian and, and thinker and who's written about public
0: art for a long time she has a definition that I really like because of how broad it is which is it's it's a project or a something, it doesn't have to be a project, it's a it's a a time (laughs) when an artist is involved and The public is involved in the creation, review, or manifestation of that project in some way. I think you can have public art that is artist-initiated and artist-funded that doesn't necessarily come through an official like government entity percent for art program. I look at projects like Conflict Kitchen, which is an artist- conceptualized and manifested food kiosk that existed in shenley plaza in pittsburgh for about six years and it was imagined by two artists john rubin and don waleski they served food from countries with whom the united states is in conflict and so many artists wound up working at that kitchen also through the work study program at carnegie mellon university but the restaurant was an artwork and the decision of what food was served was part of that artwork. The decision of the wrapper that the food came in that described the conflict from the position of the country that we're in conflict with was part of the artwork. And so that's a project where it was funded by the public and that people bought the food, but it was made by art, you know, conceived of by artists, implemented by artists, and the public also interacted with it by by shopping there, by, by eating there. And so that's certainly on the fringes of what a public artwork can be if you're in a place where it's still conceived of as a bronze figure on a plinth. And I, I embrace those too, right? There's a, There's a huge range. And so I really like in my own work as a public art fan, I really like to think of myself as someone who tries to come up with a wide range of possibilities for artists to
1: engage in the public realm. So, do you think that people who went and bought food experienced it as an artwork or did they experience it as a restaurant or does it not matter? I think
0: it I think it does matter that people notice the details of the restaurant. I don't know if it matters that they know it's art or not. And some people definitely went there because they knew it was an artwork. I mean, Conflict Kitchen had international visibility, right? Like Al Jazeera talked about Conflict Kitchen. It had a lot of play. I think that when you went there, you noticed that it was very different from ordering from the like the hot dog place next door. You know, you didn't get this b- beautiful wrapper that explained all these stories about the people whose culture the hot dog is connected to, right? In the way that you did with the food wrappers that came with Confit Kitchen. At Confit Kitchen, they had a community engagement person who happened to be an artist. Who would basically come up with engagement activities while you were waiting online for your food. So sometimes they would have quizzes, or there would be, you know, readings of historical texts or readings of poems, you know, that happened as part of that experience. So you definitely knew it was something different. You may not have known it was an artwork. But I think I think it does matter that people notice that it is something beyond the norm.
1: I'm sort of thinking about myself as not particularly a fan of public art as I have experienced it most of my life, which is very static and it's there. And for me, growing up in in the Midwest in industrial cities, it sort of faded into the background. It could have easily have not been there, as been there, in terms of how it was experienced by people. So that's the sort of baggage I carry about public art. And then I had the wonderful opportunity to uh, see a presentation you did, where you were talking about this square in Pittsburgh. And what you did every single winter in that square with a different artist, that was essentially experience-based.
0: I'm really glad that you're bringing up Market Square Public Art because it's a, a program that I helped to develop and I'm really passionate about. And I love the variety of what we do. One of the things that I like about public art is that there is a massive amount of variety. And I have empathy for you there are you know things in places where i used to live that totally faded into the background Uh, and i'm a public art nerd right the first second third time i saw them i didn't think about them anymore that gets to be about taste and history and what appeals to you and so what i like is when you have a city where there are many many different ways that artists are engaging in the public realm so you can tune in or tune out based on what appeals to you for one of the important things about market square public art i think is that market square is one of our most important civic spaces in downtown pittsburgh and i am just so grateful that we have not made a permanent public artwork there Mm -hmm. because i feel like it is a place that has to be constantly evolving it is a place that has to leave room for the memories of people in the future And by setting up a permanent thing, it would kind of mark that space and we'd have less space and resources to be playing on contemporary needs and thoughts and desires. And that's the beauty of that program. It's a it's a site that you know to expect temporary public artwork in, but you never know what to expect because it's always changing. And so maybe the, the permanent thing there is anticipation, mm-hmm. right, and that it's it's grown to be a place where people are
1: anticipating a new way of experiencing that space. So it's a square in in the center of Pittsburgh and every winter there's a new installation it is up for between six and 12 weeks and it's a different artist each time
0: it the program it's the city of pittsburgh's temporary art program and it was developed in collaboration with our colleagues at the city of pittsburgh leadership at the pittsburgh downtown partnership and then my office which is the office of public art which is a technical assistance and educational programs provider about public art that's housed at the greater pittsburgh arts council Mm -hmm. and so we all work together to come up with a framework and so we do a requests for artists every three years. We try to pick three artists at once for the next three years. So we work with them like as a as a class almost. So yeah. one artist will be picked for year one, second year two, next year three. We tend to put the artist that we think is going to need the most time at year three. Mm -hmm. The program is completely privately funded. I'll give a big shout out to Jeremy Waldrop. He's the head of the Pittsburgh Downtown Partnership, and he raises all the money for for the program. It's a variety of private sources, many different foundations. And then we've also gotten grants from the National Endowment for the
1: Arts. So one of the interesting things is the Downtown Partnership creating the, the public art environment in the square draws people, and it probably, my guess is it draws people at a time when maybe they need an extra motivator to come out of their homes, and so the business community at some point made this this realization that if the public art was compelling enough, You're going to put
0: on your long underpants and go, you know.
1: And people would come, and they would have people who were willing to, you know, buy food or whatever is for sale. And that the art, the public art, is driving business. It's driving economic activity. And I think that it's really easy to think about Public art as in a in in the government realm or in the social service versus the way it can function with business to promote business well being as well as community well being. Yeah, I think Market Square public art fits in the community development
0: realm, right? Because nine months out of the year, Market Square is packed. Pittsburgh Downtown Partnership does a phenomenal job programming that space. They it's where the farmers market happens. It's a holiday market, right? And so the activation of Market Square is 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 key to the to the vibrancy of that section of downtown and you're right in the winter there's no programming there most people are not looking to host an event in market square when it's four degrees outside but we do still want people to get out and come experience the square how, how do we get them to come experience downtown in the winter and so far we've come up with i think a really nice series of projects that that have engaged people and they've ranged from weekend long events um that our artists generated we had an artist last year named cheryl Oring. we worked with her over a three-day period to bring her project i wish to say to Pittsburgh and it's a project that asks people to sit down with a costumed secretary to tell the president what you want that president to hear. And it's a project that started under George W. Bush and it's continued. And we coincided our installation with Cheryl on the 100th day of the Trump presidency. Mm-hmm. So she was in Pittsburgh, I think, for days 99, 100, and 101. Mm. Um, and it was super powerful. So we've had three day long projects like that. But then we've also had Jennifer Wen Ma's landscape, which was called A Winter Landscape Cradling Bits of Sparkle, was a two almost three month long installation where we basically planted a forest in market square painted it black with chinese ink and then the trees weren't dead they were just just quiet mm-hmm. <laughs> and then in the springtime they all they all bloomed oh, wow. and so it was about the anticipation of like are we going to live through winter kind of like how I guess you guys feel in the summer here right like are we all going to bake to death <laughs> and we're like are we going to freeze to death and then you know that landscape came back and you know we had a lot of repeat visitors right but two very different ideas and manifestations of how artists could activate that that
1: space and then also then probably to I'm sure there's some overlap but also very different Audiences, People who might be interested in the garden might not be interested in making the comments to the president. But the other piece that I'm hearing is with the temporary work, you don't have to worry about pleasing everybody and finding something that, you know, the whole community can get consensus around. You can have bold or more unusual pieces or experiential pieces because they're not there forever. That's, I think that's one of the
0: one of the many benefits of temporary public art, right is that you have the opportunity to engage with different audiences that you may not be able to engage all of them in the development of a, of a, of a permanent piece. So often with permanent work, it can get caught up in well what is the identity of this place? you know who are we trying to appeal to? what is the audience? And then thinking that that audience is going to stay the same, from now until 100 years from now is a little crazy to me because we're an evolving, changing country and we're evolving and changing people. And so it's nice when you can get a permanent work that still is relevant 100 years from now, 50 years from now, 20, 10 years from now, but it doesn't always work. And temporary public art kind of releases you from that pressure Mm -hmm. in that you can have a piece, maybe it lasts a weekend, maybe it lasts two or three years. And it can be The content of the artwork can be very about what's happening right now. The form of the artwork could be responsive to something happening now. But even the materials that it's made out of can be more experimental because you're not expecting them to last 30, 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. You You know, and I say that not begrudging permanent work. I mean, I look at like the New York City subway system and the work that the MTA Arts for Transit program has done. For the most part, they've put gorgeous mosaics in city subways. They know their material, right? They're about the neighborhoods they're in most of the time, but there's usually an above ground, below ground connection that's that's happening. And those, it's a hugely successful program, but it would be really interesting. You know, they also have, I'll say it's a temporary arts program and that they have a very successful performing arts program that happens in the subway system called music under New York and what I love is that those two things are balanced together you know you're always going to have contemporary living artists in the musicians performing alongside mosaics that you know some of them have been around for 30 40 50 years, if not longer if you go back to the beginning of the subway system and the city beautiful movement mm-hmm. so that to me that's that that's that's pretty awesome. but yeah, the idea of trying to please everyone, I don't know why <laughs> I don't know why public art has the, has that pressure where certainly not everyone else is trying to please everybody all the time. But I get it, you know, because it's public art, everyone's involved, it's usually public money. Everyone feels like they can have a say, which is why I think having really strong processes in place is important. So even if you don't like an artwork, you know where you're allowed or where you're encouraged to come speak up, either against it or for it. You know, having a having an art commission, a public hearing, a place where a, a person can voice a concern, even if your concern may not change the tide, right? It's important to know that, that there is a place for your voice.
1: I really liked what you said, room for the memories of the people in the future. So, in a sense, historic public art speaks with the voice of the people of the time. What was important, what they valued, what they wanted to say. Who was in say. control? Yes. Okay. Right? Like, let's not forget that. Who Who was in control? Who was allowed to be commemorated? It does not leave room for the the memories of the future, which is, in a sense, the voice of the future. It, it, it compels the present and the future to respond to the voice that is holding on to that space. And I hadn't thought about public art quite that way, but obviously there's a lot of stuff going on right now with Confederate sculptures. And I think that's really a a tale of that.
0: One of the reasons why we, Pittsburgh Downtown Partnership and I, wanted to create Market Square Public Art as a temporary art program is we wanted to attract Repeat visitors. You know, it's a realization that who is using downtown in the winter? It's the 110,000 people who work downtown every day. There might be some visitors that are coming through. Maybe it's the once in a lifetime Pittsburgh Penguins holder who's, you know, coming to town. You're in for a convention. We have those folks too. But for the most part, we're looking at the people who are living and working downtown every single day. And how do we get them to come back? So in a, in a very like 101 level way, the way you get people to come back is change the show, right? Like there are probably some people who saw Cats like more than 50 times, but for the most part, most theater goers are going to go see different shows, right? Mm-hmm. Go see different things. And so making sure that Market Square Public Art at the most difficult time of year provided variety and at least a new reason for you to come back that season was very important downtown Pittsburgh has a wealth of permanent public art. I mean, phenomenal investments that have been made in the public realm. We have a a Vermeer Bearder mural in our subway station. We have a gorgeous Louise Bourgeois fountain. We have an amazing sculpture by Tony Tasset called Magnolias for Pittsburgh, which is probably one of the most popular works downtown. You know, we do have some bronze figurative work at our city county building. There's that beautiful stained glass window by John Lafarge that's in the Frick building. We have a wealth of these permanent pieces. We have a gorgeous, you know, Jenny Holzer on the roof of our convention center. So we didn't need to make another one what we needed was something to add variety and for so for example in pittsburgh we've had the three rivers arts festival which has been going on for at least 50 years and in the beginning that festival was very much about breaking out of the museum institutional building and bringing really good quality art out out to the public that weren't necessarily coming to the museum It's really cool to look through the history of the artists that they commissioned through that festival. Mel Chin, Fred Wilson, Jackie Ferrara, Patrick Doherty. You know, people who went on to have very important public art careers. Meryl Lederman-Ukules did one of her public works ballets in Pittsburgh, Mm. right, as part of the arts festival. There was really visionary stuff happening there. Knowing about other temporary art programs across the world, but then knowing that Pittsburgh also had this history for artwork in the summer Also made us want to do that right like I love that I talk to people who've been in Pittsburgh a long time and they're like oh I remember when fill in the blank right there was some artwork down at Point State Park that continues to inspire them you know Stacy Levy did a great piece called River eyelash that people still talk about so I want to be enabling artists to have a place to make works like that right that are gonna be like oh did you see this cool thing knowing you know not I mean let's be real like you don't always have the a million dollars to commission a permanent work of art right and not every artist is up to making a half a million dollar artwork they're just not at that place in their career and so I want to be working with artists who are working in a variety of ways and the way to do that is by by encouraging more more temporary work and I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't have permanent work but it's really nice when there is when there is a balance Mm -hmm. and I also want to create a program that whoever the Meryl, Laidlman, and is 30 years from now has an opportunity to make a project in Market Square. Sure, Like I want to be setting a stage where artists of the future can be responding to the time of the future to captivate the imaginations of the future. And I can't do that if I've said, okay, this thing goes here. You know We're working on a, an initiative right now with a great organization called Neighborhood Allies, and they're a community development support organization. right? They give grants away in the community development realm. And we teamed up with them to develop a program called Temporary Public Art and Placemaking. And we did a call for organizations in the neighborhoods that Neighborhood Allies serves. And we're working with six organizations in six different places. And then once we had them on board, we did a call for artists. All the organizations participated in the call for artists process. So they were each teamed up mm. and they were given about six months to come up with an idea for a temporary work of art that's supposed to last between one and two years that responds to a need in the community. Wow. Right? And so I'll, I'll give a shout out to Anne Tarantino, who is the artist that is working with the Millvale Community Development Corporation. That is a downtown that is brutally separated from its riverfront by a highway. Mm -hmm. You guys would appreciate this in this area, right? You have like waterfront all over the place. What is the community access to that waterfront? And so Anne identified that need and came up with a project, which is really like a mile long drawing that leads you from a community park downtown to the riverfront park. And so it's this very simple blue line that is a gesture that helps you make this connection. So it's to get the people of Millvale down to the river to visually draw you down there, but then also the people who ride up the trail to Millvale who don't know there's a really great downtown just on the other side of the highway to go through the underpass following that line to find downtown. You know, Millvale is a community that's in transition Will they eventually have a series of permanent artworks that maybe lead you from river to downtown? Maybe. But for now, the right gesture was this temporary one to let's see if this works. You know, let's see how people respond to it. And the cool thing about Anne's project, I think, from a conceptual point of view, is that, you know, she had to get like more than 15 landowners to agree so it became this community process to say okay not just the pennsylvania department of transportation and the borough of millvale but a law office and a Restaurant owner and a you know all these different property owners along along the line to say okay you can put your blue line on my property so is that's kind of cool
1: is the line on the sidewalk or is
0: it on the building Both. Or? that's what I love about it it starts on the sidewalk it goes up walls and down walls it's real it's a really cool project mm-hmm. is a simple gesture you, elegant gesture it's paint right yeah it's paint paint that is known to be able to be removed she picked a product where in a couple years. Either the town can decide to repaint it or they're going to, you know, power wash it off.
1: So you could get that done and make a difference in a, you know, without overwhelming resources. Yeah, right. But I could see it making a huge difference and, you know, maybe somebody writes about it or makes a film about it or takes pictures of it or any number of things that start to happen because that's there. That would not have happened if it wasn't. Absolutely. I
0: think the other nice thing is I think it's going to capture and inspire imagination of other ways to connect to the river. Mm -hmm. I mean, I see this project as like the seed of maybe a much bigger project that'll happen in 10 or 15 years that we wouldn't have been able to think of if this hadn't happened first. So I think that's important, right? I think the other thing that's important is how does working with an artist help you solve a community development need and so another really nice project that's coming out of this is by an artist named john pena and he's working with a group called the larimer consensus group and you know they're an organization that has wanted to have more community dialogue more engagement in their activities with a wider range of neighbors and John's project evolved into being a series of in-depth interviews with people who live in the neighborhood one of them uh, Tony he's in his late 90s he's lived there his entire life living in the house that he grew up in you know having real conversations with people about what the future of the community is going to be it's a place that could potentially see a lot of gentrification and how are they gonna keep it a neighborhood that's welcoming to everyone? And so John's project is gonna be a series of changing sculptures that literally uses quotes from neighbors to be in dialogue with the spaces. Like So what the final form is, I don't know yet, but I love that by working with John, the community organization has been able to spark a much bigger conversation about what what is this place and what is it going to be? One of the other cool things about temporary art is it broadens people's ideas about what artists can do, right? That it's not just about decorating a place. It's, a, it's about bringing voices to that place also. It's about helping that place imagine the next thing that it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And that's, that,
1: that's pretty powerful. What are some other places that are, you think are doing it really well?
0: Well, I can say, like, who are some of my public art heroes? Okay. You know, I'm going to – I'll shout out a couple of them. I have long admired the work of two organizations in the Pacific Northwest, the Regional Arts and Culture Council and an organization called For Culture. They both have multiple programs that have artists engaging in the public realm in a variety of ways. They do permanent public art. They do temporary public art. RAC, the regional arts and culture council has a gallery on the first floor of city hall that local and regional artists have an exhibition opportunity for and they treat it as an installation space for artists to be experimenting with installation art Mm -hmm. which is a great like first step towards making public art right Mm because you're dealing with a site they've also both had artist residencies in the public realm which is something i'm very passionate about which is placing an artist in residence with a non-arts organization to come up with a creative project where in the beginning you have no idea what it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. And you know we're working on a variety of those in Pittsburgh right now, but Portland has a program where artists are told that the county is their artist in residence location. Mm. So like most artists in residence, like you're given like a, a building in the woods to like compose your music or make your artwork. This is different. Your artist residence is the public realm. And so they've had a variety of really cool projects come out of that. You know i'll also say i had a really important mentor my first my first work in public art was i was an intern to an artist named maria dominguez and we i helped her paint a few murals through a program called city arts and working with an artist as her assistant made me realize how hard it is to work in the public realm when you're on the street painting every day you know, there's a lot that you deal with. And so she helped me become sensitive to that. And watching her engage with community members was, was really important to me. And then my first real job in public art was I worked for the Department of Cultural Affairs in New York City yeah. um, for their Percent for Art program. I was an Urban Fellow. And my boss at that time was a man named Tom Finkelpearl. He's written two very important books. Dialogues in Public Art, and another one called What We Made. Those are very, even if you just get to the introductions, they are they are key to understanding practice today. I have done, in collaboration with another artist named Tiffany Ludwig, we did a very long-term social practice-ish project called Trappings, although I don't think we were calling it a uh, social practice art back then where we developed a platform, a conceptual platform, to talk to women about the meaning and presentation of power in their lives. And so we traveled the United States. Uh, We've worked on this project for 10 years. We interviewed over 600 women in a variety of settings, asking them the question, what do you wear that makes you feel powerful? 90% of the time we were interviewing women we didn't know, who we had reached out to to be hosts, to gather their friends and neighbors and family members together to participate in that discussion. And so we turned women's living rooms and conference rooms and library spaces into art making places, right? Where we were doing these two to three hour interview sessions and it was really awesome. It manifested in a number of ways. We had some temporary public art installations where we used the content of that work. We did an installation in the Portland International Airport our archive is online and we saw that as a public manifestation of the project as well. You can listen to all 600 interviews on our on our website. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's really it was incredible. So we took a long break after that because you imagine that was a lot of work and then we've been working on a project called Taking Stock where it's a similar project and it's interview based where we're interviewing men about the meaning of value in their life, asking men, "What do you do that makes you feel valuable?" Yeah, so I work in I work in that way in collaboration with with Tiffany. I also make stop motion animations in my in my fun, very limited free time. And I'm actually in the middle of making a very big shift. I'm actually leaving my position as director of the office of public art to focus more on my creative work. I have the best job in Pittsburgh, and and I know it, but I'm willing to take a risk to give that up john carson is an artist who lives in pittsburgh he comes from ireland and he was the head of the art school at carnegie Mellon university and i was like oh my god i feel like i'm starting over and he said something so kind and generous to me which is you're not starting over he's like you're starting with like this 13 years of experience that you've had building this thing he's like don't forget that right i was like oh john thank you i feel much better (laughs) Sometimes I think, okay, what do I want to do next? Like, should I write a book that you just experience one-on-one and I have total control and I don't have to work in a group or like send out a doodle poll for the next meeting? You know, there's this something about that that's appealing, which is why like this stop motion animation thing I think is, is really fun because it's like I get to make this whole world and I don't have to do it with anyone else. But I do really, there is a real deep passion I have of trying to get something done and trying to get a group together to make a decision to do something. Like I've had a couple of people comment like, oh, like your, your life skill is definitely getting people to come together. And so it'll be interesting to think about, all right, how do I, how do I employ that as an art, as an art mm-hmm. skill? One of the things I observed at St. Pete is like, yeah, there's two very different cultures, right? Like what is happening in the beach bar is very different than what's happening in downtown. A lot of the people I talked to at the beaches who were mostly locals, a lot of them weren't coming downtown. Right, like they are, they were very beach focused. I said, like, Oh, that's kind of interesting because you have this challenge of you're not just the city of St. Pete, you're trying to develop strategies that are going to be relevant in many different environments. And so, I, I really have been thinking about that okay, like what projects are going to be relevant to a place that is not all the same kind of geography right you know what you're going to be doing maybe with temporary public art downtown is going to be different than what you might do out
1: on an island and the county has 24 municipalities yeah, you know Saint Petersburg is is the the biggest city in the magnet and has a really dynamic culture. You've also got Safety Harbor, which is a small city but a really dynamic arts culture, and Dunedin with its own art culture, and Tarpon Springs, and uh, then you have the center of the of the county where um, Pinellas Park has done some very innovative things with uh, work living spaces. And the interesting thing to me about Pinellas County is an opportunity for more synergies and an opportunity for a lot more sharing I really think that art and artists have a capacity to do that
0: absolutely I think it's very important to develop a public art systems that are very flexible that coming up with processes in a place that allow for a wide variety of artists to participate coming up with systems where artists get to be artists right and to do what they do best which is raise the creativity of everyone around them i mean that's that's important and how that manifests like not having too many rules about okay the art the public art has to look like this is is key to the success because it should be evolving and changing well
1: that is a perfect way to end this discussion (laughs) i think it's thank you renee paichaki for uh (laughs) joining this, this discussion today, I think it was really so invigorating. Really appreciate you joining us today. I love being invited. Thank you for
0: having me. It's so fun. I feel famous.
1: This is Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, also known as AI, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, Visit St. Petersburg, Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.